Well, hello and welcome back to the Preaching While Black podcast, a podcast that is committed to the call, the craft, and the content of the preaching tradition, the black preaching tradition. And I have a very special guest in this episode. Uh, He's a brother I've known for several years now, and uh, we're going to tell the story because he's one of the reasons I'm in Little Rock, Arkansas right now at a church here in Little Rock as a pastor on staff. Looking forward to that conversation. Let's dive in and talk to Mr. Andre Kirkland. Welcome to the Preaching While Black podcast, a podcast dedicated to the calling, craft, and content of the Black preaching tradition. And now, here's your host, John C. Richards, Jr. What's you got it, you, sir. Man. You got it. How are you? Thank you for having me on today, <laughs> man. Honored, honored to be here. No problem, man. I I appreciate your approach to the craft of preaching, and I just hope that people, as they're listening in, kind of gleaned from some of the things that you have picked up over the years in your preaching craft. But before we get to your craft of preaching, man, I want to discuss your call. You are a native of Shelby, Mississippi. Now, where's Shelby at in relation to another larger city in Mississippi? <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> no shame. No, it's no all shame. good, man. I am a country boy uh, at heart. So Shelby is in an area known as the Mississippi Delta. Uh, Mississippi yeah. Delta has a rich history and heritage, I'm sure, especially for us African-American people, man. There is a rich history and legacy around that. Primarily what we're known for is our fertile soil, man. You know, farming, cotton, corn, rice. I mean, that's just a place. Listen, you're not about to see no skyscrapers. <laughs> you hear me? So it's all it's all yeah. flat land. But it is the closest big city would probably be Memphis. It is a hundred miles south of Memphis, uh, on Highway sixty one. So Highway sixty one runs right through Shelby, Cleveland, uh, Greenville uh area. And all of that runs directly into Memphis, all the way down to like New Orleans area. So, uh, yeah, man, that's a little bit where I'm from, Northwest Mississippi. We kind of sit on the Mississippi River, probably about 15 minutes away from the Mississippi River. Yeah. Okay. And so, growing up in that small community as a high schooler, you were the musician at your church. Mm-hmm. Uh, you kind of have a musician's background, and I want to know how we got to the preaching task, but. I really want to talk about kind of your college experience. You went to UAPB for college and you got an accounting Uh degree. Uh Now, as you were getting this accounting degree, was preaching even on the radar for you? Man, no. (laughs) It was nowhere in my sights, peripheral, nowhere in existence. Uh, My goal uh, was to be a corporate attorney, man. I wanted to go practice law. Um, in a corporate space. Um, and that's what I wanted to do. I had no intentions on being a preacher, neither did I ever think that the trajectory of my life would be where it is on today. Uh, I've always grown I've always mm-hmm. grown up in church. Um, as you stated already, I'm a musician. A lot of people don't know that. I can play piano, keys. I've been playing piano since I was seven years old. Um So I grew up in the church. My grandfather was a preacher. My uncle is a preacher. And I guess it kind of skipped 
my parent generation and then it hit me. Um, but man, it's the last thing, let me say this, that I <laughs> that I probably would have chosen. Uh, but hey, no, yeah. we don't choose this, you know, God chooses, mm-hmm. you know, so. Mm. So tell me when, it, when was it that you started to sense this call to preach? You know, you're on this trajectory, right. you think you're going to be going to law school, you're going to be in a corner mm-hmm. office in corporate, practicing corporate law. When was that moment where you like, man, or was it a moment where you were like, man, God has really called me to this preaching task? Yeah, man. So let me, I graduated college 2011, moved to Little Rock to pursue a master in taxes at Euler or University of Arkansas Little Rock. <laughs> and um, at the time I started attending church, St. Mark Baptist Church, where you are um, serving there on staff. Um <laughs> And they didn't have a pastor at the time. So I was there and I heard all of those candidates preach. But there was one particular in uh, the candidacy that I said, man, if this brother gets elected to this church, I'm joining. That was in, that was in the spring of 2012. Um, and that that preacher was Dr. Philip L. Pointer, who is now currently the pastor. Man, it's crazy how God orchestrates Ooh. things, man. Uh, that was wow. in the spring of 12. I think Pastor Porter got elected and then sometime that summer maybe started late July, early August. So I started attending every Sunday faithfully, man. And uh, God just began to start stirring my heart. I had a hunger for the word. Uh, I was wanting to be at church there on time, sitting in the same seat because, you know, we have our favorite seats, right? <laughs> we all do. <laughs> sitting in my same seat there every Sunday faithfully. And then God just began to turn in my heart, man. But in that spring, I went home to Mississippi. My grandfather, who I told you was a preacher, he was battling with cancer, man. And he hadn't told anybody, but he was just dealing with this. And that sermon was on my heart that Pastor Corner preached as a candidate. And I was sitting by the bedside with my grandfather and we talked through that sermon. I told him how it moved me somewhere along the line in between Shelby, Mississippi and traveling back to Little Rock. God revealed to him that I had been called a preacher. Crazy, man. So my first cousin who was a preacher calls me and says, hey, man, you good? I was like, yeah, I'm good, man. He said, hey, granddaddy say you've been called to preach. I was like, what? Man, granddaddy tripping. I was (laughs) like, man, if he was called to preach, I would know it. So, um, you know, the Bible, you know, when the angel comes to, to Mary and uh, the Bible says that she kept those things in her mind, kept those things in her heart. I cherish, I yeah. cherish what my granddaddy saw, um, or what he heard but, from God in his heart. And summer goes by, Pastor Porter gets elected, I come to join, man. My grandfather passes November 15th, 2012. I received my call to preach December the 15th, 2012. Wow. Uh, so, wow. I, wow. you know, I joined, I believe God has his way uh, in how he uniquely works with his children, with me. He works by date. He uh, works by dates. And I could give you a whole mm-hmm. litany of dates here on, on the podcast, but that's not what we're here for. But just know that... Mm-hmm. Uh, God aligned it, man, that I had been called. Uh, at the end of 2012, I started a fast at the top of the year. No social media, no meat, no sodas, because I really wanted to seek 
uh, if God was really calling me or was I tripping and I had just ate some bad Chipotle or something, you know, I, I need, <laughs> I needed the wow. But Fast forward, man. I got a yeah. meeting with pastor Porter. Um, and, uh, that was a, a long waiting meeting to see him <laughs> to talk about this call. He said, man, I want you to, here's what I want you to do. I want you to read the book of Acts, write a summary of every chapter. And I want you to pick up this book, biblical preaching by Haddon Robinson. Uh, and, and he wow. said, I believe God will reveal to you if you've been called man, fast forward. I didn't even get to start reading the book of Acts. I had a dream one night. God spirit led me to Acts chapter 14, verse seven. And it said, and there they preached the gospel. Uh, and I knew Ooh. right then that I had been called, man. I fast forward to summer 13 I quit my job working for Kroger company as a loss prevention specialist moved to Fort Worth, Texas to attend seminary at Southwestern. And uh, I've been in Texas ever since, man. So that was 10 years ago. So uh, God has a way. Wow. God has a way. So you started 2012 fasting, seeking the Lord, and then clarity comes by December because December 15th is when you accepted your call to ministry. So over that long period of time, that's what God clarifies your call. Yes, I'll say He clarifies it in January of thirteen. Yeah, mm. I, I start. I started wow. seeking after it after the December fifteenth experience that I had. Yeah, mm. and th so that's helpful for anybody who's a younger preacher who listens to this, and you're trying to think through whether or not you're called to ministry. It does take a lot of seeking God's face in that process, and part of that means sometimes you got to unplug. I mean, you're going to be able to miss social media posts and you will be okay. Yes. Uh, especially if you're looking at exploring a call to ministry. It is a heavy weight. You know, James 3, 1 says, not many of us should become mm -hmm. teachers right. or preachers because we'll be judged more severely. Yeah, man. If that isn't scary enough for you as a potential preacher, you need to really think through that call to, to ministry. So I appreciate you for sharing that, especially as you're a young person thinking through that it's really refreshing to hear somebody who actually stepped up and said you know what i'm going to seek god's face in this process yep. have you ever have you ever seen young pastors really go into ministry without understanding all the weight that is there and then seeing them burn out just because they just weren't prepared spiritually oh yeah man i, I think it's uh i think it's more common than we fail to realize um you know, I think a lot of guys see the glitch and the glamour. Um, they see guys who have ascended the heights, if you will, uh, uh, where they have gained a influence uh, in Christendom, and they think that that happened overnight, um, and that it was a immediate pathway to where they are to that platform. Um, but uh, man, it's hot under those lights. <laughs> You know, having that spotlight on you, man, there's a lot of eyes that are on you. There's a lot of weight, gravity, magnitude um, that weighs on a person when they have to carry that load or they've been given that mantle that they have to carry. Uh, and and yeah. I think we should um, I think we should honor the process that it takes Um that God has us on because ultimately God calls us to perfect us. Um, and I think he calls us 
to do something within us. And I think a lot of the times we think, what is it that we can do? But it's not about what we can do. It's what God wants to do in us so that he can use us for his glory. Good. Yeah. Mm, that's good, man. That's good. Well, we've talked about your call to preach. When we come back after the break, I really want to dive into the craft of preaching and how you go about the sermon preparation process. I'm looking forward yes, to sir. it. Scholars have referred to the original black church as the invisible institution because enslaved people were often not allowed to worship freely. They'd have to gather, sing, and preach in secret to avoid being beaten. Yet they still developed a deep devotion to the authority of scripture and the liberation narrative. Today, many Christians who don't fully agree with conservatives or progressives feel invisible. They're not well represented in politics or mainstream media. In response, the AND campaign has created the Invisible Institution Newsletter, or IVI. We'll be providing political commentary, policy breakdowns, and more for Christians who believe in social justice and moral order, not one or the other. Go to andcampaign.org and subscribe if you're sick and tired of feeling invisible. Hey, Kirk, listen, so I want to talk about the crafts of your preaching. Um, I've seen you preach on several occasions. You're actually in a practical theology program uh, studying under David Allen, who is a preacher's preacher. Love, love hearing him preach and then also him write on preaching, have a couple of his books. I want to talk to you about your process for preaching. Um, as you're working through that process, what what kind of tools have you picked up along the way or who has been most informative for you in terms of how you prepare your sermon manuscripts or even outlines? Yeah, that's good. Um, so I think for me, I, yeah. I would like to classify myself if I could uh, throw myself in a homiletical uh, pot. I would like to say that I am an expositional preacher, or at least that is my aim uh, to be that when I stand mm -hmm. to proclaim uh, the gospel. Um, for me, I would say that I was introduced to that mm -hmm. by my pastor, uh, Dr. Philip L. Warner, the first time I had ever really heard true exposition preaching. And I was like, I don't know mm -hmm. what this is, but this is the Bible. You know, you just feel it. You know, you are being directed back to it in the sermon. And then when I went to seminary uh, with Southwestern Seminary, that is a, a school that prides themselves on exposition preaching. And uh, that's kind of what I was introduced to. That's what I learned. That's where I began. Now, I'm not saying that the only way to preach is expositional. I, I don't want anyone to hear me uh, on this podcast and think, well, I'm not an expositional preacher, then I'm not preaching. No, that's not what I'm saying. I just believe that one of the most faithful and accurate ways to proclaim is by expositional preaching. But one can do topical preaching, doctrinal preaching, long as the gospel goes <laughs> forth and a text is being explained that is preaching. Um, How do you define expositional preaching? <laughs> preachers who are listening can hear it because you know i've yeah. heard several definitions we both heard several for definitions, sure but what is your definition for sure man so i'm i've been influenced by my my theological training for sure uh i would say that the meaning of the text is the meaning of the sermon just mm -hmm. on a simple 
one-liner for me that's what exposition is for me as you asked the question prior about what is my process or how do i approach it i'm gonna dive into that a little bit and i'm gonna put some steroids on it if you will and for me i'm going to say that the substance the structure and the spirit of the text is the substance structure and spirit of my sermon so that's for me what i'm going to say expositional preaching now that's real nuanced right because when you start talking about substance you have to ask the question what is this text saying who is it written to what is the time period that is written what's going on what are the um things that are being addressed um so for me, that's substance. But then the structure is where the languages are going to come involved. That's the original language, Old Testament Hebrew. That's New Testament language, Greek. So how is that parent passage or pericope, that unit of thought, how is that being written? How is it constructed? You know, what is the what is the breakdown of that sentence? That's from a syntax level uh, to a word meaning level. I'm looking at all of that in the original language. And however the author has constructed that in the original language, I'm then taking that structure and I'm building my sermon off of that. So a sermon may not have three points. <laughs> it may have two points. Uh, it may mm-hmm. just have one point. It may have four points. I don't know. I can't bring my presupposed theological and homiletical outline on a text for me in turn i'm gonna let that text shape how i construct my sermon that's good that's good so expositional preaching is your approach to preaching now as you take that approach to preaching and you're in the study now this is going to cause some beef because i got some beef with people around me on this Uh topic now, do you do you use books or do you use software programs to work through some of the historical structural elements that you were talking about? When we talk about the structure of the text itself. How do you go about what's how what's your study look like? Is it just a computer in front of you or is it books all around trying to figure out what the text Man, means? Man, John, I'm using anything I can get my hands on. Um, uh, if I had it my way, I would prefer that hard copy, that book. I feel like it's just something about turning that page, flipping the paper, reading the words off the page. I feel like I internalize it better. I soak it up. However, I am a mm-hmm. major fan and a proponent of logos. Uh, I have logos uh, and I, and or the logos, however we want to pronounce that. Uh, you know, some people was like, what you saying I, there? I, I know, right? He was like, now, come on. Now. He know that word is Lagos. Okay, fine. <laughs> Lagos, but I've heard people say Logos. So I use Lagos, um, and I use that because I can take it with me wherever I go. Um, I think reading yourself full helps with preaching. You know, we know that we can never get up there and regurgitate and say everything that we've read. But I do think there is something about filling yourself up with as much information as you can. And I think you will see that information that you have read and retained will come out in your preaching, even if you have it in your notes or in your manuscript or in your outline. I, I've, I've had this happen plenty of times 
where I've read something and it comes out in my preaching and I didn't plan it. So I, I like the Lagos because you can you can take it with you wherever, on your phone, iPad. But I do like to get in that library too um, and shit with the materials and shit with the books, sure. Hmm. Something about having those books around you that just makes you feel like you, you're digging Man, in. Man, listen, absolutely. So let me ask you this in terms of, um, you mentioned reading yourself full. Um, I think there is a school of thought that says, okay, you need to read yourself full, but you also need to write yourself clear mm-hmm. after you read yourself mm-hmm. full. So how do you go about having all this content, all this information? You know, we're Bible nerds, seminary mm-hmm. trained. A lot of pe- preachers just love the content we're reading. How do you go about writing yourself clear after you read yourself full. Yeah. You know, John, I'm still working on this in my own preaching, man. Uh, I'm not where I would mm-hmm. like to be as it relates to writing myself clear. Uh, I'm trying to become more of writing a full manuscript. Man, a full manuscript. I actually don't write full manuscripts. Uh, I am more of an extended outline type of guy. Um, but I want to get to a point of writing manuscript, uh, and mm-hmm. then maybe, but using my outline just so that I've written myself clear. I think, you know, there are a lot of preachers, man, that are manuscript preachers and you can sense the clarity in their preaching, the, uh, the succinctness and concision that they have in their preaching. And I think when you write yourself clear, it keeps yourself on track. Number one, so you're not chasing rabbits in the bullpen. You're not wasting time. Um, you're yeah. able to actually wordsmith, you know, things that are catchy on the ear, you know, using rhetorical devices uh, in the preaching moment, whether it's, you know, alliteration um, or different type of, you know, um, what am I trying to say? different type of word usage, right? That is, makes it uh, clear for the listener, you know, so that they're able to leave with something. Um, So I'm trying to uh, perfect that. And I would encourage any of the persons listening, you know, to just write yourself clear. And I think sermons get better over time, right? Uh, I think your sermon becomes better with every edit. So I think you're able to cut and add and see what works, see what doesn't work and edit that sermon. So mm. I think that's where the real fruit is after you've preached it, after you've worked through it, then you edit it. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So before we turn to the content of your preaching, top three resources that you have every time you prepare to preach, what are those going to be? <laughs> uh, well, I think you got to start with the Bible. Of course, I think we all know that. <laughs> well, all all these preachers so spiritual. Right. Got to start with the Bible. No, no, no. I got yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You definitely got to start. Push. So, what version do you use preaching and preparing? Yeah, I'm using an English Standard Version right now. Uh, but I'm okay. reading this CSB a little bit more now. Uh, Christian Standard Bible. Okay. Uh, and I'm I think I'm getting ready to make that switch over to start preaching from that. But I'm always using a CSB when I'm looking at. The text just to study it 
Uh, I, I, I think yeah. that CSB is a good hybrid of the NASB, New American Standard, and the ESV because you get some of that uh, verbiage, that English, good English, but then you also get that wooden translation of the NASB, and I feel like they've done a great job of fusing the two together. Um, so I'm going to use a um, the original language for sure, the Greek and the Hebrew. Now, I'm not trying to sound like I'm sitting here using that and I'm just translating and I'm just coming from it. I was like, no, 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 but I do have it around when I'm looking at the text. I think there's something with that and I'm trying my best to translate as much as I can by myself. But of course, that's why they have help. And for any person that's listening, who's like, Hey, well, I don't know Greek or Hebrew. Uh, that's fine. There are, Plenty of resources out here nowadays where you can yep. um, where you can get the text right and get a good interpretation on it. There are no no longer excuses. There are no more excuses out here now mm-hmm. um, for one to not be adequately prepared uh, for preaching. They are out here, but I'm going to use the Nat John, which is a New American commentary. Uh, I, I like yep. using that because it's going to give me a conservative lens uh, on a text. Uh, but I'm also going to use the interpreter's Bible, uh, which is a little more liberal in its lens. Uh, I'm going to always use mm. those two. Uh, and then what I really like for historical background and context is that the IVP, uh, the InterVarsity Press, they have a set called the Bible Dictionary. Uh, and I believe it's about yeah. eight or so volumes. Um, and it gives you dictionary of the Old Testament, Pentateuch, wisdom literature, dictionary of Jesus and the gospel, dictionary of Paul and his letters. And what this um, what what this sets aims to do is to provide the reader um, with facts on everything, whether it's geography whether it's doctrine, whether it's a word, it is going to give you a explanation of whatever it is that you're looking for. So I would, those are definitely my top three that I'm always going to mm-hmm. consult. And then I'll throw this in here, John, real quickly. I think when we look at how we use our theological tools or references, I think it's good to lump them and group them in categories, you know, exegetical, that's going to be the language and how you're dealing with uh, the text in its original state. And then you move to exposition. That's going to be your commentaries on where you're getting explanation uh, of the passage mm-hmm. or, you know, what this text means. And then you're going to move to devotional commentaries, which are a little bit lighter and which are just going to give you thoughts yeah. around a particular passage. So that's kind of how I yeah. like to group my study. Uh, and how I like to categorize my references that I would use in sermon preparation. That's important, man. A couple of things that you said that are important. One is to read widely, mm-hmm. um, understanding that there are conservative viewpoints, liberal viewpoints on the text. Uh, th- that helps you arrive to a conclusion yourself on the text. Uh, we can't always read in silos. We have to read scholars who may disagree on Absolutely. Points. And obviously, you're not going to carry all that in the pulpit, but it informs the way you preach. And I think it's important that people people understand that. The other thing that you mentioned was a Greek study. I think one of my favorite seminary resources was a book by Kubo. And Kubo's Greek 
supplement was a supplement that helps you be able to identify Greek words that appear, I think, a hundred or fewer times in the Greek Bible so that you can, as you're working through the Greek New Testament, the ones that are kind of less um, less obvious are ones that you can work through in the text. So I love that book. And then finally, you mentioned about uh, the resources themselves in the dictionaries. I think it's important for everybody to know that those help you get that background that you need in order to bridge the text from the biblical times all the way to contemporary times. So I, I appreciate you for doing that, man. That's great advice, uh, great suggestions. And this is the craft of your preaching. When we come back, we're going to talk about the content of your preaching. What's up, Preaching Wild Black fam? Listen, I hope this interview has been a blessing so far. If you want more content and resources around Preaching Wild Black, go over to our YouTube channel, Preaching Wild Black. We have all the episodes from our interviews up, but we also have other resources for you as a black preacher as you try to hone your craft, your call, and your content for black preaching. Now back to our episode. All right, Kirk, let's talk about your content, your preaching content, uh, how you go about uh, preaching the text, uh, the, the social location in which you preach it. Uh, you're a younger preacher. You've come and preached in our young adult service that we had. Yeah. And I always get questions from some pastors and leaders. How do we best connect with younger generations when I'm a preacher from an older generation? So what type of connecting points are you looking for as you're working through the tech yeah. to possibly connect with a younger generation without losing the substance of the text itself? Yeah. So huh, that's a loaded question. Um, so for me, I, I kind of live in, uh, in this preaching, in my preaching, I kind of believe in a, extemporaneous aspect of it you know uh, I will write out my application for sure some but I kind of just lean on what I'm seeing uh, to help uh, you know to make it live for the audience because you can write a sermon you can write a manuscript you can have everything laid out and you have these applications, but when you get there, this, you like, man, this does not fit this audience. This does not fit this crowd. So what are you going to do? You just going to continue to read no. it and you no. know, it's not going to fit. I think you have to, you have to do exegesis on your crowd. <laughs> and what I mean by that is you got to know who you are preaching to and who you're proclaiming to, whether it's upper class, middle class, blue collar, white collar, African-Americans, <laughs> Uh, Anglo. I think you have to be aware of these things. You know, some of the things that we would say in an African American context, you wouldn't say in an Anglo context, and vice versa. Nope. Um, so I think you have to be aware of that. How I connect with the, I guess, the younger generation. I myself am a millennial. Uh, I think we have to be culturally aware of where these generations are. What's influencing them? I mean, we live in a hip hop culture, man. A social media technological age. I mean, in order to connect, you cannot be anti uh, social media. There, it's just not possible. You're gonna miss something. You know, uh, it's impossible. Yeah, there's yeah. no way you you can expect to connect almost with anyone. I wouldn't even just say millennials now because 
you got Gen yeah. X and you got uh, baby boomers now who are on Facebook and on social media, right? So uh, that's just where we are. As time evolves, I think how we approach preaching uh, has to evolve as well. Um, so right. I, I would say what's going on in the society, what's happening in hip hop culture, what's happening on social media, what's happening in the news. And I think you have to let that be a lens that you use as you're seeking to make uh, the proclamation clear. Hmm. It's that old tried and true quote that many attribute to Bart. Some attribute to others, but you got to read the Bible. Yeah, well, no, you got to have the Bible in one in hand. In a newspaper and another. Newspaper and another. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And newspaper today is, is social media, right? So what you're telling me is we cannot descend the mountain like Moses uh-huh. and deliver the Ten Commandments. We literally have to actually engage the audience that we're trying to reach. You have to. You have to. Right. Um, right. I, I think there's... You know, there's a there's a paradigm that is happening in the pulpit or in the preaching moment that you're speaking. You're the vessel that's being used. You're a representation of God in that moment, proclaiming what is being said. But there's also participation yeah. on the listener, on the hearer, in the audience, in the audience. Um that they are listening in and hearing what it is that you're saying. And people will to people uh-huh. will tune you off. You know, if if you're not connecting with them, uh, if you're not succinct or if you're too long, people will give you attention. But after so long, they've been to turn you off because hey, we live in a yeah. technological age and our attention spans are every bit of what, twelve minutes. So that's right. Uh, you you, you got to capture these people. I, I can't remember who I read this, John, but they say that if you haven't captivated or captured the audience in the first three minutes of the sermon, you're, you're not going to have them. I mean, that sounds about right. Because you can see, you can see after the first five minutes, folks are fading yeah. in some sermons. You're like, oh, they, they didn't get them For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Let me ask you this. What What is the most difficult thing for you as a black man who is a preacher? Mm, the most difficult thing. In what realm or what aspect are you asking? In terms of preaching or being known as a preacher in today's culture and society. With all the cultural milieu that's going on with all the uh, bipartisan oh. conversations that are going on. Uh, what do you do as a black preacher that may ruffle some feathers? Yeah. So I, I think, man, uh, first of all, there's a stigma, you know, that makes it difficult that we have to be perfect or that we are perfect and that we don't have flaws or that we're not human or that we don't make mistakes because we are men of the cloth or women of the cloth. Uh, I do believe that we are held to a higher standard, as you already stated earlier in the podcast, James 3, right? You know, be careful, you know, for those who want to become teachers, we're going to be 
you know, suffer a stricter, harsher judgment, uh, which is true. So we should ultimately, you know, uh, be mindful of our lifestyles and what we do. But I think, too, there's also the pressure of that we're human, you know, we hurt, we cry, we suffer loss, we have issues that we deal with, too. And I think sometimes because we are held in such a high regard or high esteem, that um, we're kind of off limits from falling, you know? And I think that's one of the difficult things that we're always weighing, you know? Uh, One of my mentors says that integrity is who you are when the lights aren't on or or when no one is watching. Um, So I think we have to make sure that we protect our witness, always being careful of that. you know, what we're doing, who we're with, where we're going, what we're saying, and just being mindful of that. So I think that's one aspect. And then another aspect, too, is because we are African-Americans and because we've endured so much as a people group and a culture uh, for so long and that we're still having to do, we have to preach to these issues uh, that we are experiencing. And I think, you know, when we have issues that we see happen, we don't take that on to the text, but we look at the text and we see where does this text speak to what it is that we're going through or what it is that we are experiencing as a people or something that is facing our people. Um, I, I, I think, I think um, that African-American preaching automatically lends itself to this pathos in our preaching that seeks and aims to address issues uh, and hope to give people hope in lieu of what we've experienced, what we're witnessing, or uh, what it is that we expect. Uh, I I think it automatically lends itself to that. Now, there are some who won't touch these issues that have kind of sold (laughs) out for the sake of being respected uh, by other sects of people. And, you know, uh, that's on them and the Lord. Woe is them, you know, uh, because I think we have to speak to and address these issues. Uh, but I think, you know, God has also given us his word, but he says that, hey, well, you, you know, I was naked. You didn't clothe me. I was in jail. You didn't visit me. Yeah. You know, um, I was hungry. You didn't feed me. So there's a social aspect, I think, to each and every one of us who stand and proclaim the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Huh. All right, so I'm going to close with this rapid fire for you. Okay, mm-hmm. you ready? Favorite Bible verse? Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, mm-hmm. him we preach, warning everyone, teaching everyone that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Verse 29 says, to this end, I also labor striving according to his working, which works Good. in me mightily. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Favorite book of the Bible? Ooh. Joshua. Joshua. Elijah or Elisha? I have a son named Elisha, so I'm going to be biased. Uh, I set you up for that one because I knew yeah, that. So yeah, I yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Give him his double portion. Give him his double portion. And mm-hmm. that's my mm-hmm. that's my miracle baby. He, I call him. Man. I call him my multi-million-dollar baby. That's what we call him in our house. Man. 
because he uh, was uh, in the hospital for 95 days, man. And we just see, saw God's hand over his life and uh, healing him. And now he's three yeah. and a half going on 43. So, uh, <laughs> wow. Wow. That's yes. man. That's God's grace right there. Yes, sir. Wow. So Paul or Barnabas? Ooh, Paul. Ruth or Esther? Ruth. Favorite book that's not the Bible? Oh, Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan. Yeah. You a classics guy. Yeah, huh? I like classics. I like classics. Uh, okay. But I got to throw in okay. this other one, Ordering Your Private World, Gordon McDonald. That kind of changed me a little bit. I kind of try to read that every year, once a year. Mm, yeah. Mm. Favorite Old Testament book? Joshua. Right, you said Joshua. Okay. Well, you did good work. Yeah. Did yeah. good work. You got through the rapid uh -huh. fire. Hey, man, I appreciate you for coming through talking about your call and your craft and the content you're preaching. I appreciate you as an expositor, as a preacher. I'm glad that you heeded the call that your grandfather saw yeah, man. so many, many years ago. And it's just been that God's been at work in your life ever since. And I'm just grateful for you um, listening to his voice and hearing that call and looking forward to see what God does for you in the future. Again, thank you, man, for joining us on the Preaching While Black podcast. I know people were blessed by this conversation. Man, thank you, John, and uh, best wishes to all those out there. And uh, stay with the Lord. That's all I can say to you. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us for the Preaching While Black podcast, a podcast committed to the call, the craft, and the content of the black preaching tradition. Grateful to have my brother and Andre Kirkland on the podcast. He is a preacher extraordinaire, and I'm grateful for the resources that he provided to us. I'll be dropping all those resources in the comments for those who are watching on the video. If you're listening on audio, make sure you like, subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you share it with other folks. Uh, we have a very uh, intentional space around here. Where I talk to black preachers and teachers as they continue to talk to you about their call, their craft, and their content. We're looking forward to our next session. Until then, we'll see you next go around. Grace and peace. Thanks for listening to the Preaching While Black podcast. For more helpful content and resources, connect with us online at preachingwhileblack.com.